0: It's a Thursday in Southern California. Who wants to talk sports? We do. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with my co-host, John Riley. We welcome you to Hacksaw's Headlines, our weekly Thursday sports podcast. We're coming out of football. We've started baseball. We got the beginning of the push to the NBA playoffs. The NHL trading deadline is just around the corner. We got golf, we got auto racing, we got the Olympics. John, do we have enough time to do this podcast today? This is awesome.
1: I mean this is just like when I first learned about you when you were on six ninety and You were doing Hacksaw's Headlines. The first time I heard you, I was blown away by the amount of content. And you're sharing the Hacksaw's Headlines today. (laughs) We're just loaded with stuff today.
0: You are right. I am blooping brilliant. Thank you. you (laughs) Hey, listen, we hope you uh, enjoy what we're going to present. We do this every Thursday. Sometimes we do bonus coverage podcast on Monday. John, before we start, we're looking for a co-host to our podcast Explain to them, Fans Forum, how they can be part of what we're doing.
1: Yeah, yeah, you could be part of the conversation here. So if you've got a hot take, a comment, a question for Hacksaw, go on the live stream in the live chat there on Facebook or on YouTube and join us. You know, type in your question or comment. We'll get you involved in the Fans Forum segment at the conclusion of Hacksaw's Headlines.
0: And we remind you, please subscribe wherever you watch our podcast, wherever you listen to it on what audio platform, subscribe. So you'll get the alerts because not only we do Monday and Thursday, we also post stuff most every day of the week, John. Spring training in full gear. We're heading towards the Great Sports Weekend in the beginning of the Cactus League and the Grapefruit League circuit. What topic do you want to pull off the table first?
1: Yeah, you know, Lee. I was really amazed by some of the you know the, these impromptu press conferences they're having out in Peoria, and they had Eric Gruppner and Peter Seidler there, and they were talking about the the word sustainable, <laughs> and it kind of was driving Seidler kind of nuts. But it's a really interesting topic to break down. Peter
0: Seidler holds. His first preseason spring training press gathering with limited media over there. He gets national headlines. They've written about it in the New York Times, they wrote about it in the Washington Post today. The big story is Major League Baseball's reaction to Peter Seidler's spending spree. Last week, checked the Padre payroll is $251 million. Wow. It takes him just below when they add in all the other stuff that counts towards salary, just uh, below the $273 million threshold. Peter Seidler started to answer questions, and he responded to all the critics that are out there or all the people, including the commissioner, asking strange questions, making weird comments about why the Padres are conducting the business the way they are. He started off because he was asked about Manny Machado's pronouncement this past week. He's opting out regardless of what is presented on the table. And Peter Seidler's comment, Machado has earned the right to ask for whatever dollars he wants to ask for. Then he was asked about Fernando Tatis. His response Tatis has an honor to pay in the relationship with the team, the relationship with the town and its fans. He expects Tatis to be a solid ball player going forward. (laughs) Top priority? sign the third baseman, Manny Machado. He's answered the question about the money spent and is it sustainable. And that was his quote. Winning is sustainable in San Diego. Now they kind of admit that they don't have more to give, that this is where they are financially, and they're going to win with what they have. And if they retool, they'll still have money to win because they're making money as they go through this entire process. Winning in San Diego is sustainable because of what they've invested in what they're going to get back, and what they think they can build going forward. It's the most unique approach of anybody I've heard in small market baseball to make these kind of comments that this is our blueprint. Please follow us and watch us be successful, and they have been successful in the last couple of years. Uh, He did admit that this is not an unlimited group of resources. This is not an unlimited budget. So in essence, I think he's saying the payroll of $251 million is the top. It's probably going to be in modern day times uh, with Padre Baseball. Uh, He also indicated that uh, uh, I don't spend very much time thinking about what other people are thinking about what we're doing. I am only focused on one thing, and he capped off his press conference by saying, you know, this is not checkbook baseball. Please see me when we win the pennant and we're planning our World Series parade. So he's all in. I think he's a little bit offended with the continued questions from everybody, and he really detests the term checkbook baseball. But but he has pushed everything to the front. And uh, the more I thought about this, John, coming over today for our, our podcast, I'll tell you why the Padres are doing business the way they're doing. Item one, they own the market to themselves. This is unlike virtually every other baseball market. There is no NFL team here. I guess Padre fans should thank the Thief and the 19 Spanos for taking the Chargers <laughs> out of here. So there is no NFL team. There is no NBA team. There is no NHL team. There's a Division One athletic program with marginal success, but it's never really grabbed the community by the shirt collar they have the market to themselves. So therefore, I think what's transpired in the last group of years since the Chargers left, they've gone out and taken every corporate sponsor the Chargers have had. They've added it to their list of corporate sponsors. This is, as you and I have talked about, this is a melting pot of people from everywhere. A lot of people have been deported from other places that wound up in San Diego, myself included. Hell, even you, Giant (laughs) fan. So, So at the end of the day, the Padres have this very lucrative market almost to themselves. You add in the creative genius of past ownership, John Moores, Larry Lacchino, the building of Petco Park, what it's meant to the Gaslamp Quarter, what it's meant to the community— And the fact that they got Red Sox fan and Giant fan and Padre fan and Dodger fan and Cub fan and fans of everywhere that come to these games when their teams are in town playing at Padres, in addition to the Padre longtime fans. They own this market, and they are now decided, we're going to take all the revenue we're generating, we're going to pour it into this superstar batting order and real Great frontline pitching staff and bullpen, and we're going to win. Maybe it's 100 victories, maybe it's more. Tr- push to try to get to the World Series. And that investment will allow them to sell out the stadium, 3 million fans. That investment will allow them to make a lot of money with all the money that's coming in with all the home games at Petco Park. And that package. Blueprint will allow them to reinvest going forward, even if they lose Manny Machado or they can't re-sign Juan Soto, etc. So it's a fascinating approach to the business plan. And lost out there with all the criticism from Rod Manfred to the National Baseball Beatwriters is the fact that this is such a very different market. Great baseball markets in Chicago, Los Angeles, Yankees, Fenway Park. But this is a market they have to themselves. It's $3.5 million. They have it to themselves. John, it's a long answer. Your response to what Seidler had to say, your response to my assessment of why they are where they are and why they're operating the way they are. Your turn.
1: So – It's funny because maybe the the Padres need to go over to the Montezuma Mesa and steal their slogan, one city, one team, right? Because that's what they were pitching over there with the Aztecs. You got to – I mean, Seidler is incredible. I mean, the guy – when we had Fowler in the driver's seat, it was – yeah you know, he wasn't as aggressive. He was more careful. I think that was during the time when they were paying down a lot of their debt. But now, yeah, they're 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 blowing up the model. They're they're showing the rest of major league baseball that a mid-market or even a small market team can be competitive. And I bet you that's why Manfred was kind of chirping about this because he's probably getting pressure from Dick Monfort, you know, in Denver and all the other smaller market owners that they're the Padres are making them look bad. The Padres are proving that they can be successful and spend money on the big names. So it's
0: great. It's great. The other guys in other markets, I thought, for example, Pittsburgh, really small market, small regional franchise, not a ton of people who live across western Pennsylvania. You're not going to get pirate fans to cross the border from the state of Ohio. You might draw some out of West Virginia, but Pittsburgh's got to compete against the Steelers. And against the Penguins, mm-hmm. and an established Pit Panther football program. Yeah, so you know that small market is really different than small market San Diego, where as I said, that guy. Owns everything in the 619, the 760, and the 858 area code mm-hmm. in terms of sponsorships and marketing. And this is the most unique set of circumstances, I think, that they're out there at Major League Baseball. So we'll see where it goes. Your reaction to what he said about uh, Manny Machado, Fernando Tatis?
1: It's awesome. Um, I mean, he's, he's doing it the right way. We talked about this before with the the Machado um, you know, contract and the opting out. He has a pecking order. He took care of Joe and then he took care of you and now it's time for Manny and Fernando. Um, so he's doing it the right way. I think, you know, it's just so amazing given how, as a Padre fan, we had the Morag guys buying the team on layaway. We had, um, you know, the... Uh, What was the guy that owned a Werner that you had the Roseanne franchise? I mean, he like had the fire, the fire sale, which was just awful. And so now we've, we've suffered so much as Padre fans. And now it's like we're the kings of the world. And there was an article, I think, was it in the Washington Post about the Padres reimagining the way baseball can be run and. I love this innovation. I think it's tremendous. Uniqueness of the market has a lot to do with For it. For sure. Okay, let's move on. Interesting.
0: You know, we all, we all follow our teams from different levels of the media, whether it's your hometown radio station or it's your newspaper, the Union Tribune, or whether you're addicted to ESPN.com, etc. The Athletic is an independent sports site. Has a ton of writers around the country. Ought to hire me. A ton (laughs) of writers around the country that cover specific teams and specific sports. Dennis Lynn, former beat writer of the UT, now works for The Athletic, does a lot of creative stuff. He did a fans survey within the last month asking the fans their thoughts... Their confidence level with different people. And if you look at the listings there on our screen, 88% of the population that was polled was over 1,600 in, I think, a two-week span. 88% believe this is a World Series team. Man, that's, that's that's an amazing statistic Going into the start of the season, we've had good teams in the past that have done well, but talking about expectation, going into the start of the season, 87% of the fans are really confident in Peter Seidler. Uh, they, they believe the blueprint. And as I just explained, this market is different. It's allowed Peter to do a lot of creative and different things. Uh, they like Bob Melvin. 55% think that was a good hire. And I back when he was hired, I think the first time you and I got together on our initial rookie podcast, hmm. I said, this man has seen everything in the 1,300-plus games that he's managed in the majors. Good teams, bad teams, rich teams, poor teams, injured teams, healthy teams, et cetera. So there's nothing that happens in that dugout that Bob Melvin has not experienced before. I was a little bit surprised that, what, 32% only have confidence in A.J. Preller. I'm really stunned at that statistic. Now, is that a byproduct? Because he paid all this money for draft picks and then proceeded to trade them all away? Is it because he made all these deals early on, took on all these contracts, and then had to dump those players, the James Shields and the Matt Kemp's and the Justin Upton's the world, and pay people to take them off the payroll? So I was really surprised at at the lack of confidence in A.J. Preller. Uh, Other ones, 27% of the people confident that Tatis can be the player he was before. And I'm shaking my head. I know we have to walk through the Cactus League and then see what it's going to be like when they start pitching for real when he returns April 20th to see whether the power in the bat is back, etc. But only 27% of the people talking about Tatis in a positive vein right now, and I was also surprised only 15% of the people were confident about Xander Bogarts and the investment they made. Now, maybe that's just a byproduct of the 11-year commitment that the Padres made to him. Uh, A couple of other topics uh, that they they posed questions to uh, in terms of the rotation, 85% of the people that were polled said they were concerned about whether they had enough depth in the rotation. a lot of people really concerned about the Manny Machado situation. About can they keep him? Will they resign him? Ninety-two percent of the people, though, very confident that the Padres are going to keep Machado. A lot of people not confident about the Soto situation, but that's two years down the road. Uh, and then obviously the final question: sustainability. Can this spending spree continue? Not a lot of people confident it can, but enjoy the day, enjoy this year, enjoy next year, and
1: we'll see where it goes. Your response to all the numbers we just put up from The Athletic. Yeah, that's, it's amazing data, really, to get that from the fans. But it's funny how fans are so fickle, right? In some cases, they're optimistic, glasses half full. Other cases, it's doom and gloom, <laughs> and they're never going to – Tatis is never kind of come back. And, you know, it's, they're like Eeyore from the Winnie the Pooh, you know. <laughs> so uh, I think um, – You know, A.J. Preller gets a lot of crap. I mean, you ever go on MLBTradeRumors.com, which is a great website, and there's a lot of like really sophisticated baseball fans that just rip Preller to shreds because they think he's traded away too much to get what he has. But I figure it's like Jack McKeon in a way. He's got to be a trader. He's got to be doing deals. I like what A.J. Preller has done. He's taken some risks, some gambles, and he's won more than he's lost. And I think that's a great thing.
0: Got offended when I made the crack. The owner gave you a blank check and you overspent it. <laughs> but that being said, uh, they are where they are because of his aggressiveness. And the one thing, the intangible thing about AJ is, is my term boots on the ground. He's got scouts everywhere. And that's how you come up with Hassan Kim, and that's how you develop. Guys that nobody else would have touched in the draft that suddenly either make your team or become a trade chip, moved in another deal. Uh, you got to invest. You got to have boots on the ground to scout to find these players, and then what you do with the players is up to your staff in terms of how you build them. Do you keep them? Do you grow them? Do you trade them? Uh, I I was surprised though in the bigger picture the lack of big number confidence factor as it relates to A.J. Prowler. So, uh, first uh, spring training games this weekend, on we go. It will be a weird spring training, though, John, because everybody's rosters impacted by the WBC, and all these players are going to the World Baseball Classic camps. That being said it opens the door for all these young guys to play. Yeah, for you're sure. You're on the field, you're going to get the chance to play 15 Cactus League games, so show me your stuff.
1: Yeah, that's a great opportunity for those young guys. I mean, we're seeing you know like Jackson Merrill is like the hot young shortstop, which by the way, we already have 23 shortstops on the <laughs> roster. But, you know, it's good for him to get an opportunity, you know, to hit off some major league pitching, and uh, we'll see what we got. We'll see how deep the, the minor league system is for the Padres.
0: Okay, on we go from base Let's talk NFL football because we're into the offseason and you knew when the Chargers blew that 27-0 lead in the playoff game to Jacksonville, somebody was going to pay the price and it wasn't this guy. It's not the head coach Brandon Staley, but both the coordinators are gone and now today they just fired their 24-year
1: veteran experienced head trainer. Kind of messy story. Wow. I mean, it's just the Chargers always have this chaos, this drama that they, I, I just want to see them get their house in order. But the trainer now? I mean, what's going on here? Well, first of all, they fired Joe Lombardi two days after the season ended,
0: offensive coordinator. Guess where mm-hmm. he just landed this morning? Denver. Ah, Denver Broncos have hired Joe Lombardi as passing game coordinator and probably offensive coordinator. Uh, they just lost their defensive coordinator. Coordinator, And this is a really weird move. Ronaldo Hill, who is the hand-picked guy of Brandon Staley, come in as defensive coordinator. He has to be released from his contract. He went to the Miami Dolphins, not as a coordinator. He took a step down, but they let him go. They got rid of him. And of course, his last two years, they were horrible in the secondary two years ago. Last year, they could not stop the bleep and run. He's gone, Ronaldo Hill. And now Devon Mitchell, who had been with the club 24 years, moving up the chart, become their lead trainer last group of years. They jettisoned him this morning, too. They've had so many injuries on uh, defense, so many injuries in the offensive line. Now, I don't know how much of this injury has got to do with training method, whether it's wrong. They're not all just tissue-related injuries, but I'm more talking football hit injuries. I tend to think it's part of the game, but Brandon Staley is making a change there, and that's a pretty significant change because that impacts a bunch of other people, probably in the strength and conditioning department of the Chargers organization. So the offensive coordinator goes to Denver, the defensive coordinator vacates, goes to Miami, and there'll be a new guy leading
1: the medical team. Reaction? Well, isn't wasn't Lombardi, didn't he have the relationship with Sean Payton? So, He'd been in New Orleans prior. Yeah, so that makes sense why he ended up in Denver. But I know Charger fans are happy to see Lombardi get shown the door. Um, you know, I just don't know what to make of all this. I mean, because you constantly, like we talked about this, you constantly reorganizing, reconfiguring your management team and the system's constantly in flux. You know, how can you build a foundation when your 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 chief lieutenants are always different from year to year? And Justin
0: Herbert will start his fourth year with the Chargers as quarterback Fourth different offensive coordinator, Ooh. which means different terminology, different playbook, maybe a bit of a different system, though I think the general consensus is uh, with Kellen Moore coming in, they're going to try to keep in place a lot of the things that Justin Herbert does well. But and that's a unique young man. He went through changes, coordinator, coordinator, coordinator at Oregon, comes to the NFL. He said no stability on the coaching staff either.
1: Wow. I mean, that's, and, and, and he's, yet he has still shown some outstanding capabilities. Now, imagine you get the right brain trust behind him. You know, sky's the limit. And you got to get the right people on the field around him, and I don't think they've gotten that
0: done yet. On we go. Next NFL topic. Don't you like soap operas? Don't you like <laughs> spitting contests and rock-throwing contests?
1: Yeah, I mean, these two guys have been going after each other. All the, like They were doing it a few months ago. I mean, Daniel Snyder is kind of a disgrace. I mean, what's going on there in Washington? But what's the latest from Jerry Jones?
0: Jerry Jones goes public in an interview this week in Dallas. He and, and Daniel Snyder, the Washington Commanders-Redskins, they used to be like this. They were blood brothers. And now that relationship seems to have really been fractured. And, you know, Snyder was under investigation for hiring attorneys to, quote, dig up dirt on other NFL owners oh, and God. the insinuation, you're not going to oust me because I got all this dirt on you. And all that got back to Jerry Jones and Jones, who once upon a time was a real backer of a lot of the things uh, Daniel Snyder tried to do, has, has just kind of walked away from him. And, uh, you know, he has indicated uh, that there's not much to beloved Daniel Schneider. And then he makes the comment, I wouldn't fall on that sword ever Jeez. for that guy. So... Oh, that's the end of that relationship. I keep waiting for the the league investigation to go public. What do you know? What you find out about Daniel Snyder on the toxic workplace culture? I keep waiting for the franchise to be sold. That has not happened yet. They're waiting to try to come up with financing for a brand new stadium in the, in the district. Nobody will do business with that guy, Daniel Snyder, and he's still the owner. But he doesn't have an advocate any longer in Jerry
1: Jones. Wow. And, and these two guys are in the same division as well. Yes. So they got to face each other twice a year. Um, so what, we go back to the Washington situation. I remember way back in the day they played an RFK stadium, yes, right? way back in the day. So when, when did they get their new stadium?
0: I would say probably 20 years ago. Okay. Uh, and it was state-of-the-art. It was a monster stadium. I mean, it seated like 90,000. And and Washington Redskins at that point were the biggest drawing team in the league, and they had a waiting list from here out to the street of guys who wanted to buy season ticket holders. And Daniel Snyder, hands-on owner, screwed that thing up so badly in terms of general managers, coaches he demanded they they hire, quarterbacks he demanded they draft, and at the end of the day... You know, he ran through people. He ran Joe Gibbs out of there, and then he ran through people. He didn't like Marty Schottenheimer. They hired what a miserable mistake Steve uh, Spurrier was. Mm -hmm. I mean, just on and on and on with all the mistakes. And he kept mandating, go get this quarterback. I want you to draft that guy. You know, RG3, Robert Griffin III, Dwayne Haskins. What a disaster. And yet he still owns the franchise. But now, uh, lowest attendance in the league. They don't sell out. All the ticket potential season ticket holders that went from here out to the parking lot, they're gone. And now they can't get the district, Maryland, or Virginia to negotiate to help them finance a new stadium because of that guy, the owner. And he still owns the franchise. Go figure that one out.
1: Yeah. And this is the nation's capital. I mean, it's one thing to have bad general management and, you know, RG3 and Steve Spurrier. But it's a whole other thing when you've got workplace issues, you know, racial issues in terms of how you conduct your business that is, um, you know, is beyond the pale. And when you have this in our nation's capital, it just reflects poorly on the league and on, on the country.
0: Look across the street. You you told me we weren't going to talk politics on the show. Look across. the What's going on in the nation's capital? The capital? Pennsylvania Avenue and Congress and all those guys on either side of the aisle. We're not talking politics. Yeah, okay.
1: There you go. Let's talk quarterbacks, though, because we've got late-breaking news on these guys. Oh, really? Okay, so Derek Carr has been in the news here. You know, I guess— New Orleans was out. So is he signing somewhere? What's happening? He
0: has yet to sign. He spent two days with New Orleans. They could not come to an agreement on a contract at this point. New Orleans has enormous salary cap problems. They're at like $68 million over the cap. They've started to renegotiate, restructure down contracts. They still got a long way to go to get to the cap number. Uh, he did visit for a day and a half last weekend with the New York Jets. Has not yet decided there. The Jets reportedly have talked to the Raiders of what the compensation would be. But there is no compensation now because he's a free agent. The the Raiders just outright released him because they couldn't get a deal done with anybody. So he has now visited the New York Jets Uh, There may be a visit. It's not been confirmed yet to the Carolina Panthers and their new coach, Frank Reich. They want a veteran quarterback to help fix that situation. I do believe he would be the first one to come off the board. And then there's the guy in Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers has spent four days in isolation. He went to a (laughs) retreatment community in the backwoods of Oregon, and he spent three to four days contemplating, meditating his situation. He has not yet announced Am I going to play? Am I going to retire? Do I want to be traded? Reports out of Green Bay for one of the longtime NFL insiders, a guy by the name of Bob McGinn, uh, used to write for, uh, covered the Packers forever, and is now an independent freelancer, is that the Packers front office and coaching staff is disgusted with Aaron Rodgers. They're tired of the soap opera. On top of that, they think that he is not committed all in to be their quarterback. And by Committing all in, that means you are going to be there when the OTAs begin. You're not going to be on holiday, on vacation. You're not going to be holding out. You're going to be there so that when you get to camp and regular camp opens in July, you're in sync on the same page with everybody, receivers, coaching staff, etc., and you're in shape. Evidently, the rap is, you know, he, he did not take part in OTAs. He said, you know, let Jordan Love take the snaps so he can develop, et etc. I don't know if I want to play blah 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 and by the time he got to camp, a he was buying, there was no rhythm to what they were doing, and there's questions that was he really in shape They don't think he was So Bob McGinn wrote that they are really disgusted with Aaron Rodgers and they're going to commit to move on to Jordan Love. They think love is ready to play. I
1: just think they're tired of the soap opera. Can can they I mean, does the contract does the team have an option on the deal, or the team has to pay him if he chooses to come? He's got
0: he's got two years left. His cap figure if he plays this year is fifty-two million. Holy mouth. Yeah, wow. again, that's because of all the restructuring and renegotiating, and I want my money, and that's why Devontae Adams wound up getting traded, because they couldn't afford to keep them all because they were allowing Rodgers – to have the type of contract he felt he deserved. And then last year, it kind of fell apart. So it's kind of a messy situation. But according to the longtime Packer beat writer, they're disgusted with this guy, and they're tired of the act. Now, can the New York Jets, if it's not Derek Carr, can the New York Jets take on that kind of cap figure? And will Green Bay take the salary cap hit by trading him? That's a big issue, too, so... That part of the soap opera is not resolved. I guess we'll stay tuned to next Monday's show to see where they send his mail.
1: Yeah, he's just such a, um, diva. You know, a diva, a diva, prima donna, um, and I like him as a player. Oh God, yeah, of course. But just the, as he's gotten older, he's come, become more of a you know eccentric guy. You know, so um, I don't know. Maybe the uh, the Packers just need to turn the page. I mean, they had Jordan Love, and I know when they drafted Love, it really irked Rodgers. But maybe it's time, you know, to transition to the next guy.
0: Rodgers is doing the exact same thing that Brett Favre did. Brett Favre went off the deep end when they drafted Aaron Rodgers. And now Aaron Rodgers goes off the deep end when they draft Jordan Love. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> it just Some soap opera. Do you love me? Do you love me not? Hey, before we turn to basketball, John, remind everybody, because we're looking for a co-host who wants to join us at the end of the show on Fans Forum, and then tell them about the most important word, subscription.
1: <laughs> subscription. Subscribe. Um, yeah, you go to the YouTube channel, Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, click on that subscribe button, and uh, on the bell if you want to get the alerts, because we're releasing stuff every day, multiple Video clips and YouTube shorts and all kinds of things. And by the way, if you're watching on YouTube, Twitter, or on facebook you know give it a thumbs up if you like what we're doing that's always helpful kind of helps the algorithm out so the podcast gets a little more exposure and then yeah get involved in the fans forum you got a question a hot take for hacksaw type it in the live chat on either facebook or youtube we'll get it here on the screen we'll get you involved in the fans forum segment and
0: check my website it's all written if you like sports if you like my talk show you'll like what i put on the website every day it's lee hacksaw hamilton
1: Com. Okay,
0: we go to NBA basketball.
1: Yeah, so it seems like the drama in L.A., they shipped Russell Westbrook out, but maybe he was riding a boomerang and he's come back in town. L.A. Clippers have just signed Russell Westbrook, the ex-Laker.
0: He was exiled from the Lakers to Utah in a trade. Utah bought him out. He visited a couple of different teams. At one point, it looked like he was going to Chicago. He's wearing Clipper colors effective immediately. He'll just Join them. The mandate on Russell Westbrook John is you're my point guard, you will push the tempo, you will go to the rim, you will distribute the basketball. That all sounds great. But we know history, he didn't play well in L.A. with the Lakers, with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Erratic performances. The stat sheet says the guy shot 40% from the floor and 30% from the three-point line. Those are not triple-double MVP numbers. Once upon a time, that guy averaged 31 points, 10 rebounds, 10 assists in one season when he was in Oklahoma. But he accepted his role with the Lakers at the end. Coming off the bench didn't quite work. He says he's accepting the challenge from Tyrone Liu, the head coach of the Clippers, that you will be the point guard and you will push the tempo. You will distribute. We want you to go to the rim. We want you to be a complete basketball player. I don't know whether he can do it because Paul George popped off this week that this is a great player we got. Well, Paul George is remembering the great player who's at Mr. Triple Double and all those great years he had in Oklahoma City. That's not the same player right now. So your response, you think he makes a big difference? Because if, if he's the guy with the guys they just traded for, the Eric Gordons of the world and the Bones Highland of the world, so I've added three guards since the trade deadline with Kawhi and with Paul George, that to me looks like a really dangerous team, if they don't self destruct when he has the ball.
1: Yeah, I mean it does look like a. It's a. They've got the three stars, right? So you know, but the Lakers tried that experiment, and they tried you know the, um, you know with LeBron really can play almost anywhere, and with the big man AD. I mean, it's not that different than Kawhi and Paul George. So now you've got you've got Russell Westbrook. I mean, how old is he, by the way? Well, got to be late thirties. Well, mid, maybe thirty-six. Okay, I mean that's you know that's up there for an NBA player. So you kind of wonder: Does he still have that mojo? You know, and d- does he still have the will to play? Now, I'll, I want to ask you this: Is this a contract just through the end of the season? Yes. Okay, so if it doesn't work out, it's like a twenty-game experiment,
0: right? Exactly. But they hoping that twenty games will push them to where they've never been: NBA Western Conference Finals. Mm-hmm. But. That's easier said than done because look what just happened in the Valley of the Sun, what Phoenix did getting Kevin Durant. And now suddenly they're three and four deep in firepower, too. Uh, And, I, you know, the Lakers are running around the streets. Hey, we're ready for the playoff push. Well, dude, you're in 13th place. You're, you're The Lakers, the Lakers yeah. with all the banners, yeah. the Lakers with the bus ownership name and all the rings, you're in 13th place and you're excited that maybe you can get to 10th place and take part in the play-in game. What they need to do is push in the final 23 games of the season and get to 6th place, which means you wouldn't have to participate in the play-in games. Mm-hmm. But that's going to be a big run uphill, and this is a Lakers team that doesn't have Westbrook now either. I I don't know what world, what fantasy world the the Lakers ownership leadership is living in. And you know, LeBron and A.D. keep saying, Well, we'll do this. Well, if we do it, why are you in thirteenth place right now?
1: hmm I mean, did you did you see the bit you know, remember the game when LeBron set the NBA record? Mm-hmm. And then A. D. was on the bench and was just sort of like not really caring, you know, and it made you wonder if he was just you know, not being a good teammate, maybe he was hating on LeBron for LeBron getting all the attention. So it makes you wonder a little bit about the chemistry with the Lakers. But yeah, the Lakers are a soap opera. The Clippers have been cursed for decades. I mean, is L.A. going to have another championship in the short term? I mean, mm-hmm. it would be I mean, if you're betting money in Vegas, I mean, the odds have got to be really big for the, any L.A. team to get to the finals. Here's the big issue. You know what the NBA is?
0: It's a bunch of independent contractors. Ah, Superstars, independent contractors. Mm -hmm. My contract, my ball, my game. You you can only use one basketball at a time. That's why the the Lakers' experiments have failed so badly. There's only one basketball on the floor as the Clippers get ready to start their final 25 games of the season. Mm -hmm. Will Westbrook be able to use the ball to score, distribute the ball to other guys to score? What's that chemistry going to be like? But. What's different about the NBA now from back in the day, the Magic Day, the the Larry Bird days, Air Jordan days, they're all independent contractors. Me. Mm-hmm. Mr. Me, myself, and I, mm-hmm. I. I think it's a turnoff. I think I. I think coaching the NBA right now is just impossible because the players run the game.
1: Players run the league. Yeah, but you know Steve Kerr has kind of figured it out. I mean, they got players to buy into his system. Mm-hmm. They've got tremendous ball movement with the Warriors when they're healthy. Um, but yeah, I mean you, you get these guys. I mean they're superstars wherever they've gone. And with Westbrook. Is he willing to play that distributor role when everywhere he's gone, he's been the guy with the ball in his hand 80 percent of the time? Shall be interesting.
0: Speaking of basketball and speaking of questions about basketball yeah. and speaking about whether all these pieces fit together, let's talk about the team in town.
1: Yeah. I mean, the Aztecs are rolling right now. I mean, they're looking really, really good. And um, you know, they got some big games coming up. So, I mean, Hacksaw, what do you think they're going to do in these final great games in the regular season? Well, you you picked the right phrase there, litmus test
0: at New Mexico on Saturday. It's weird to be sitting here this late in the college season, John, with a twenty two and five record and have questions about the makeup of the team. Twenty-two and five should be pretty impressive. The fact that they've won every tough guy road game they've had to play and they went into places early in the season and they they beat people. They said, Well, that'd be a tough game. Well, they beat those people. And I mean, with the win at Utah, state was huge, considering what the Aggies have become as a program. Mm-hmm. And obviously, going to the pit in Albuquerque this weekend, that's their final really big road game of the season. Uh, the big issue I have is they're 22 and five, and I don't know who to trust. I mean, Brian Dutcher's record as head coach is 141 wins and 45 losses. Wow, that's a spectacular yeah. career. He always figures it out. But I'll tell you what, I don't know that he's got this team figured out because you never know what you're getting from one game to the next. Are you going to get firepower from your three guards? Or are these guys going to go three for 21? Are the bigs going to show up and play every night? Or are we going to have some nights where Nathan Mensah has no points and few rebounds and a bunch of fouls? What do you get from Keshaw Johnson and which Jaden Ladies shows up on Tuesday? Is compare it compared different to Thursday? Will it play like that on Saturday? And then, then the guys off the bench, there's no doubt that there's grit and there's toughness with AJ Arup and some of these other guys that come off mm-hmm. the bench. The three point shooters are streaky. Uh, you know, Adam Seco, is he going to hit threes? Is he going to give us a six for six off the bench like he did one night a couple of weeks ago? Mm-hmm. Or is he going to give us one for six off the bench and you can't trust him? They're 22-5, and, and yet, I'm sorry, you got all these questions out here that we don't have any answers for as they go to New Mexico.
1: Yeah, but see, they've got the depth. And, you know, in the last game against Colorado State, Nico Medved made a comment about that, how they their their bench could probably start for most other teams in the Mountain West. Their bench... Outscored, I think, the starters for Colorado State in the first half. So, if, if you know, the starters, if, you know, if, if uh, Damien is, or Darian Trammell is maybe a little ice cold, which he has been over the last month or so. Well, yeah, and you get Jaden Ladie putting up a double-double, you know. So that's the beauty of what Dutcher has done. He's recruited enough talent. And these guys, unlike the NBA, are not independent contractors. They're buying into the team concept. And so he just plays the hot hand. And he's been able to find the right recipe for success. And they win ugly in Fresno. And then they'll win big, you know, in other games. So it's it's a fascinating team. I think they're well-equipped to go deep in March. They got numbers.
0: And hopefully you hit the right button on a certain night. If some other guy's not doing it, the number pops up of the right guy that gives you points, gives you rebounds, gives you defense coming off the bench. Uh, if they beat New Mexico and Albuquerque, they're going to run the table. I think they're going to roar through the Mountain West Conference tournament in Vegas. The thing that's different in Vegas is no home court advantage. Might mm-hmm. be hell, it might be a lot more San Diego State fans than anybody's fans. Yeah, up there. It is. So they should move there. However, all that being said, when we get to March Madness... I'm sorry, you're not playing the Air Force Academy or Wyoming anymore once March Madness starts. You start playing some real legitimate teams. And depending on whether seating falls, I sure hope it's not one and done. Because the guy that is 141 and 45 as a head coach is 0-3 in March Madness, which Oof. to me just boggles my mind. How is that possible? So well, apologies in advance to Aztec fan. Um they're twenty-two and five, and I got I got legitimate concerns about whether they're a complete team. We saw them kill Nevada-Las Vegas two weeks ago. Mm. I've never seen a first half that was a composite, complete game. Geez, I wish they could bottle that and then use it going towards March Madness because they're going to need to have that when they start playing real people.
1: Yeah. I mean, this this team, I think, is just loaded. And if, they, like, if Dutcher could figure out the right chemistry on the right night, he's going to be in great shape. But I was watching the game last night. It was um, it was New Mexico was in Boise. Um, and that was a really fascinating game. I'm here. I'm rooting for the Lobos because I wanted Boise to lose because that would have been good for the Aztecs. But that Lobos team, man, they are fast and they are aggressive on offense. So the Aztec defense has got to play tough in the pit. That's a tough assignment and then the next game will be on the road in Boise and that is going to be very difficult as well so for that for the Aztecs to run the table I mean it's going to require all the grit and determination every one of those players and coaches have
0: and Richard Bertino has done a great job in Albuquerque fixing a bad situation and he's done it with Mashburn and some of these other guys who have transferred in okay from that let's talk about NHL hockey we do need to talk puck because <laughs> the trading deadline is just around the corner And we've had two monster trades already. And there's a ton of names posted for those of us that follow NHL hockey out there. The Toronto Maple Leafs made a massive trade with the St. Louis Blues to take their captain. St. Louis is in fire sale mode. They get Ryan O'Reilly. This guy scores a ton of points. This guy is big. This guy's tough. He joins a Maple Leaf front line that includes... High-scoring Austin Matthews includes Mitch Marner, includes William Nylander, and includes John Tavares. This is a really gifted offensive team that Toronto's put together. And now you add Ryan O'Reilly there. The New York Rangers made a second trade. They made another trade with St. Louis. Blues in fire sale mode. St. Louis ships away up and down an erratic player and personality, uh, Vlad Tarasenko. This guy has had injury problems of late. This guy was a gunner, a sniper, before he got hurt. And now the Rangers add him to the roster. Now, we're not done. Trading deadline is March 3. Keep an eye up the road in Anaheim. The Ducks are in last place, one of the worst records in the league. The Ducks, are, I think, are just going to move whatever veterans are left and get them out of there. I don't know if the Ducks are going to trade the all-star goaltender John Gibson but he's just getting bombarded. He's looked at the most shots of anybody in the league. His statistics are not what they used to be because he's looking at so much rubber. He's probably going to be on the block, but it would take an enormous price for somebody to take on his contract, and the number one picks that have to give up to get Gibson out of there. I think a couple of their defensemen are going to be traded. I think they're going to try to move veteran forward, Adam Henrique, but he's got a $5.8 million contract. I think the Ducks are going to be active. The Kings are looking for an, another defenseman. The Kings have a weird situation. These are the final months of the contract of their star goaltender, Jonathan Quick, who's not playing very much. Might he get moved somewhere else to give him a lease on life with a good team? Maybe he could backstop into the playoffs and then use that to get a contract extension. Uh, Ton, ton of names out there if you follow NHL hockey like I do. There are going to be some more significant deals. I think last year at the trade deadline, there was an all-time record 32 trades involving something like 78 players and 25 draft picks. NHL trading deadline has kind of become uh, what, what the NBA trading deadline is and what NFL happened at NFL and Major League Baseball trading deadline. So that's, that's a hockey update. What Toronto just did, what the Rangers just did, pretty impressive. And it has to be impressive because if you look at the standings, And nobody's paid any attention to this because you're out here on the left coast. On the right coast, the Boston Bruins are 45-8-3 whoa 45 eight in three so the rangers and and the maple Leafs are chasing down the boston bruins go ahead fire a slap shot
1: yeah so I, I think it's exciting with these leagues the way they make these trade deadlines just really dynamic um and it's happening in all the major sports but i want to ask you lee i mean again i'm not a big hockey guy i'm we're still change that okay we're gonna work on that and i know that's in your roots but tell me just give me an overall state of the union of the nhl i mean how's the league doing attendance wise revenue wise what's What's the, what's the status? It's not the it's not the equal to the NBA, the NH, NFL, or obviously Major
0: League Baseball. But it's made progress under Gary Bettman as the commissioner. They they have a collective bargaining agreement that forces you to spend money. It's called the floor to spending. Uh, they have a problem though because what we've seen in in the the way that NHL teams operate, you're bad and you're young and you get high draft picks and you build and if you don't make mistakes, you get pretty good and those guys. Th- Contracts after three years or their fourth year have to get renewed. Well, when they get renewed, the price tag goes up. And suddenly everybody's making on your team is making $8 million a year because their all, contracts all came due at the same time, and they all got good at the same time. Well, you can't have that because then 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 you got the cap. And now, now you've got to shed contracts, et cetera. So it, the, league is, the league's got a financial system that works. I wish Major League Baseball would adopt some of those things. Uh, I think the league is fairly healthy in its pockets. The Blackhawks fans are the Blackhawk fans, even though they're going through a bad rebuild there. The Boston Bruins have been a legacy franchise. Toronto, for all the money they have and all the money they've spent and all the trades they've made, Toronto's not won the Stanley Cup since 1967. Go think about that. Wow. Now, they think they're positioned to do that, although Boston and the Rangers may have something to say about that on the front end. But, you know, the Pittsburgh Penguins, legendary franchise with Sidney Crosby mm-hmm. prior to that, Mario Lemieux. But they've gotten older on Crosby, and Crosby's not a young kid anymore, and there's injuries there, and I got cap problems. So the salary cap is kind of weighing into the equation as to, uh, as to how you get this thing done. The one thing I'll guarantee you, though, when we get to May and we get to June and the NHL playoffs begin, you won't see me and don't bother me on Twitter because <laughs> I'm watching the Stanley Cup playoffs because the playoffs are absolutely electric, and I think the Stanley Cup is the toughest trophy in sports to go get because you've got to play through Six series to raise the cup.
1: Six series? Wow, that's a lot, um, and, and, and you know what I have dabbled and checked out hockey. It, it, the playoffs have been amazing, and you hear a lot of national sports broadcasters talking about the intensity of play, the energy, the, how it just takes this huge leap forward when they get into the playoffs. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to learning. I, I just need to pick a team, right? You know, and then kind of follow that team. Uh, so I'm not sure who it should be. Maybe I should go back to my barrier roots and be a Sharks fan. How are they doing this year?
0: Uh, they're in the midst of rebuild. They're going to be active in the trade deadline. They'll be trading away their stars ah but you like beer so you'll like sitting with me watching the playoffs <laughs> Right <on. laughs> all right let's talk about something else pga golf tour here we go
1: yeah so john Rahm has been having a great run here on the pga tour but there's still all this drama with liv i mean what's the latest hacksaw john Rahm spaniard has won three of the first five tournaments
0: on the pga tour Wow. He's won five of the last nine times he's played, dating back to the end of last season. Guy is running away with the points championship. Uh, the big story is LIV, Saudi Super League, starts its second year this weekend. They're playing in what they call LIV Mexico. Okay, They stole 35 players last year from the PGA Tour. The suspensions of Dustin Johnson, Phil Mickelson, blah, 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 blah. Nobody paid any attention to the LIV. They've now started year two, and right there in front of them, before they tee off, they're expecting coverage and publicity. They didn't sign anybody in the offseason. They signed five scrubs to fill out their 48-man roster. No marquee names. I mean, they still have Dustin Johnson, and they still have Cam Smith and Phil Mickelson, et cetera. But to start the LIV, no publicity at all. Why? Well, what John Rahm has done. Why? What Tiger Woods did on his comeback. Hmm. Why? Everybody's talking about the Masters, and Tiger is going to play at Augusta. So lost on the horizon of news stories is anything that relates to Greg Norman's group. Hmm. So And they have a TV contract, but the first round on CW6 is only going to be on the app. It's not going to be on Channel 6 in San Diego. So there just doesn't seem to be any momentum, despite all the stuff, pronouncements but greg norman that were revolutionizing golf well i don't think so how do other people think about it dustin johnson and sergio garcia just lost their two big endorsements adidas has dropped them as spokesmen for their gear why nobody's paying attention dustin yeah. johnson wearing adidas gear playing over in saudi arabia mm-hmm. so it's to me it, it, i don't think there's any need for it do do we ache a little bit because marquee names who would be at the top of the leaderboard in the PGA Tour, Tory Pines included, aren't here because they're getting ready to go play a year or two in Saudi Arabia? But we've developed new names. I mean, John Rahm is spectacular. Rory McIlroy has kind of become the face of golf because of Tiger's injuries, and we got Xander Schauffele and we got Kola Maracawa. So th- there are new guys that are kind of surfacing and bubbling that are probably going to be the stars. Right now, everybody's chasing John Rahm. So. Are you interested in Liv?
1: Well, I'm interested in those 35 players that left to go play in the Liv. But you know, if 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 Greg Norman has said that the Liv is going to revolutionize golf, well, what's that vision? I mean, I mean, other than you know providing better pay for the golfers, what do the leaders of the Liv want to accomplish? What is, what's their goal?
0: Well, their goal is paydays, team concept. Nobody cares about team concept. I don't care about Phil Mickelson's four man team. Everybody cares about John Rahm and, you know, is there going to be a 19th hole against Morikawa? I mean, John Rahm, what he did last weekend, for example, it's just phenomenal. Hit a 51 foot birdie putt on 16, came back and sank a critical must win putt on 18 to win last week's tournament. We're not seeing any of that in the LIV because we can't see the tournaments and nobody's paying any attention to it because it's. Hardly any of them are here, and the only places that they're here are on Trump courses in the U.S., mm-hmm. and they can't sell tickets. or are giving tickets away. The whole concept that Greg Norman has proposed to me, it just doesn't work, and those guys' legacy— they took the money and ran. I mean, if I mention Phil Mickelson now, do you feel the same about Phil Mickelson now as you did two years ago or five years ago when no. he was our icon, our homegrown product?
1: I mean, he's off the radar. You yeah. know? So, I mean, has, has the LIV you know, concluded a deal with CW or is that still floating no, up No, they've
0: there? got a deal with CW, but they're not – CW has decided not to televise the first day of the three-day tournament. So you'll be able to see Saturday, Sunday at the tournament in Mexico. But what, what are you going to see there? These guys – Cutting and chipping and there's no fans. There's no fans around the greens. I mean, it's the most absurd thing I've ever seen. So uh, we'll give them their space to do what they do. But I don't I don't think that America needs another golf tour just like America doesn't
1: need another spring football league. <laughs> on we go. Let's talk auto racing here, John. Yeah, I mean, I, I love it when you talk auto racing. I remember back in the day when you were on 690 and you would say, you know, Talladega, it'll rip your head <laughs> off, you know? So let's let's break this news. This is Southern California news here.
0: NASCAR runs uh, this weekend, Fontana. If the weatherman does not intercede, this is the final race at the two-mile track built in Fontana out in the desert. I've been to that track. A spectacular facility. When they first opened... Uh, 20 years ago, they were drawing 100,000 fans on Sunday for the NASCAR race, the Winston Cup race, you know, five wide and all that. Uh, But the novelty wore off, and and they they are closing the track after this weekend. They're going to rebuild the track. They're going to take it from a two-mile track, second biggest one aside from Daytona. talladega and they're going to make it a half mile track it's going to be a massive reconstruction project to tear it down and build it back up nascar's not committed to bring that race back to fontana They're, they're taking 2024 off they'll start knocking the bricks down this this spring and into the summer and they won't race there in 23 won't race there in 24 but there's no commitment that there'll be a race there in 25 on top of that complication is the is nascar went in and they put the race at the coliseum the clash at the coliseum a couple of weeks ago and the first race they ran two years ago was kind of really novel. It was really interesting. It drew big crowds. People liked it. This past race, it was like bumper cars. They had all it 16 cautions. and All these cars got knocked out and wrecked, and it wasn't really racing. The whole night was under the yellow flag. So now there's huge questions. The drivers called it a disaster, uh, huge questions as to whether they're, you're going to bring that race back uh, for another clash at the Coliseum. So. It's weird. NASCAR racing has a history here. Ontario Speedway, Riverside Speedway, heck, even in San Diego, we had Cajon Speedway. And they were well attended, but the tracks went out of business because the cost of operation and the land and all that was too steep. We might be without NASCAR racing going forward after we get to the checkered flag on Sunday against Fontana because nobody knows whether the L.A. market wants NASCAR any longer, and NASCAR hasn't quite figured out what it should be out here any longer. And that's sad, considering how many people live not just in L.A. and Orange County and San Diego, but... Inland Empire, and all the all the tracks, all the speedways are going away,
1: yeah, well, I mean because the real estate 's so expensive and and the people that own the real estate can make it housing and do a lot better financially that 's why i 'm surprised that these courses in in Ontario and Fontana have stuck around. Um, Now, you know, what's interesting for me is I know as a kid, when I started learning about auto racing, of course, it was always the Indy 500 and there was NASCAR, but that was sort of in the southeast United States. Now it's gone more national. But, you know, yeah, is Southern California really going to embrace racing? You know, people here are from somewhere else, but still it's a little bit of that Southern culture. You know, does that mix with West Coast lifestyle? I don't know. Um, Is it a good fit? Well, we got West Coast
0: drivers. Where's Jeff Gordon from? Where's Jimmy Johnson from? Period Mm. exclamation point. Uh, I'll tell you what's out there on the horizon. And I don't know if this is just an in thing for today, what the future might be down road. Formula One is coming here. They they got three races in the States now. There you go. And Formula One used to be Euros. Now they're, now they're a global sport. Hell, they're racing in China, of all places, and obviously they run in South America and Canada, and they got three races here in the States. And the next big event is F1 next year goes to Vegas, street race, going to be unbelievable, unbelievably expensive, and they think they're going to make a lot of money. It, will that be a one-time thing? Yeah, I watched it. I was there. That was really cool. I'm not going back. It's too, it costs too much. Go to Vegas and everything else. Fascinating to see. But F1 now uh, seems to have grabbed the global attention of a lot more people. And lost in on, on the horizon is IndyCar racing. Outside of the month of May and in the Indy 500, there, nobody, and I'm a race guy, nobody pays attention to IndyCar racing the rest of the schedule. It's like it's kind of fallen off the radar, or at least in the pecking order, it's like now third to F1 and to NASCAR now you live in the Carolinas all you care about is the good old boys from Alabama Mm -hmm. and the Alabama gang and Richard Petty and all those guys you're a big NASCAR fan you can't wait but the rest of the country I think is starting to waver in terms of how big is NASCAR now compared to what it used to be and here comes F1.
1: Yeah, I, I think the F1 idea is really smart. I mean, because as the globe becomes smaller, you know, a lot of these European sports are blending in America like soccer. And then they've done such a good job putting up some of these new series on Netflix. I mean, my wife is now an F1 fan, you know, because she watched that series. So, uh, yeah, that maybe they just need to kind of leapfrog in Southern California, leapfrog NASCAR and go to where the future is. That's not a bad idea.
0: And a fascinating part is Michael Andretti is negotiating with Ca. Catal- to build an F1 team. I mean, there's only one American-based team running over there. It's the Haas F1 team. They've not had great success. Michael Andretti is the second one in modern-day racing, putting together a consortium with Cadillac that they want to be in F1 racing by 2025 mm. now cost a ton of money to join that fraternity and a ton of money to do the research and development and testing. So it's going to be interesting to see where F1 goes. Okay, final topic on the table. This involves a little bit of politics. No, it involves a lot of
1: politics as it yes. relates to the Olympics. Yeah, I mean, you kind of broke this news on Monday with me about the threats of maybe there's not going to be as robust of an Olympics as we had hoped.
0: Summer Olympics next year, Paris, France, 2024. Huge, huge push that the IOC should ban any athlete from Russia or Belarus from competing. Why? Because those are the ones that have been aggressors in Ukraine. Uh, President Zelensky, who I think should get the Nobel Peace Prize, Zelensky is is really pressured other IOC members' respective countries to join him and push for an IOC ban. IOC does not want to get involved in politics, but please, politics have been part of the Olympics (laughs) going back decades upon decades upon decades. We've had boycotts. We have had suspensions. Uh, The Russian drug scandal was the latest stain. This whole war in Ukraine is now a stain. I guess the, the burning question, because Biden in the U.S. has now joined hands with England, France, Germany, the Baltic states, Poland. There's about 40 countries now that are questioning the IOC. Should you allow these guys in? Now, nobody has threatened to walk away from the Olympics. The U.S. has not said we're not coming. The U.S. has boycotted the Olympics in the past, uh, Moscow Games for one. But at this point, there's a lot of pressure points. And I guess the big debate are you going to penalize the athletes from Russia in the Summer Olympics? just because of what their passport says, that they're from St. Petersburg or hmm. from Moscow, etc. Are you going to penalize the athletes for what Putin has done? Huge, huge issue. There's been a proposal. Let them compete as a, quote, international country with a generic flag. They will not be allowed to participate in the ceremonies with a Russian flag, etc. I just don't know where it's going to go. But there, there are, at this point, I think there are more pressure points on the IOC in this issue
1: than there have been in any modern-day political controversies there. Your response? Well, you can't penalize the uh, the athletes. I mean, because they put their blood, sweat, and tears, and they've got like a four-year window where they can be at peak performance. You would hope that the Olympics would symbolize something that's greater than all of the conflict around the world. That this is the time where we can come together peacefully and compete and cooperate with all the nations around the globe. But you're right. It it always gets politicized. It gets messy. I'm just hoping that they can rise above it. What's the answer? You know, it's almost like you, you, you can't really penalize Russia. I mean, for Punish them politically, militarily. That's a whole other topic. But when it comes to the Olympics, we should be inviting people in to this event, even those that maybe are questionable, because we want to build peace and harmony around the world. The athletes are not the one with the guns in Ukraine. Exactly. They are kind of innocent
0: victims, like the Ukrainian people are innocent victims of the genocide that's going on there. This story is far, far from over, but Zelensky has made some unbelievably passionate speeches And a lot of people globally are kind of putting their arms around him. We'll see what kind of pressure points the Olympic Committee relents to as we go forward. On we go. Fans Forum. This ought to be something. Looks like we had a bunch of people here got questions. Go ahead, John. They can ask. We
1: will answer. Okay. So this is a comment here from Ryan Kennedy. And he says, Daniel Snyder should have kept the football team name instead of choosing the Commanders. It grew on me and better than commies. (laughs) People are going to find a way to get offended by any team name in sports. I'd like to see them offend that generic name. Well, hail
0: to the Redskins, so he says. I kind of concur with you. But this is a much deeper problem than the nickname. This is the owner. This is the guy that was involved in really a toxic culture workplace. Five of his executive vice presidents all forced to resign because of the junk that's gone on. Lawsuits everywhere. Big issues with the investigation. First started by the Redskin owner himself, then transferred to the league office. Quote, cover up the refusal to release the documents and the information story is far from over. But at the end of the day, you are what your record says you are, and Daniel Snyder's franchise has been an utter failure. If at one point having been the b- biggest success at all, so this is far beyond the nickname of the
1: franchise. Hail to the Redskins! Yeah, I mean, if we, you know the whole controversy with nicknames, we can. You know, debate, Chiefs, Braves, those kinds of names. I mean, the the good and the bad. But if there was one name that should be stricken, it was Redskins. Um, So I think and remember, Daniel Snyder was was really stubborn. Originally, he refused to change it because of all the history and the culture with the Redskins name. Um, I'm happy he that's one of the good things he did, I think, in my opinion. But you're right. There's a lot bigger mess in Washington with that team.
0: Please bring back Chief Wahoo, my Cleveland Indians. Uh, Next question here on our fans forum segment. Where do you want to go here? Pick something good.
1: Something good. All right. Let's go here. This is in the YouTube comments talking about your one man's opinion, Manny versus the Padres. And it's from SD Hats. He says, Manny is trying to make it about him, and this shouldn't fit right with the fans. This could create a clubhouse drama like with Hosmer. Well, Hosmer was silent. Hosmer
0: had all this junk going on around him. He's not earning his money. Should he be traded? He never really popped off and said anything. He just didn't play very well. Uh, Manny Machado, for some reason, and I just don't understand it, he steps out in front front and center and announces, I'm doing this. Well, why are you doing it now? You could have waited till the end of the season. Why have you created this distraction? Everybody around the country is writing about it. Now, everywhere he goes, he's going to get bombarded in, you know, in Wrigley Field or in Pittsburgh or a Dodger Stadium when he's not getting booed. He's going to get bombarded about free agency and why have you done this and what things are going to change with you and Peter Seidler. I just think he had every right. He has every right, John, to opt out at the end of the year based on what he's done statistically. He is right. The landscape salaries of the game have drastically changed. But why would you create this now in spring training knowing there's 162 games that have to be played. And this topic is now front and center in everybody's mind, on top of checkbook baseball and Peter Seidler. Yeah,
1: it, it's, it's interesting how it went, all went down. But I just saw an interview, it was yesterday, I think Ben and Woods interviewed uh, Bob Melvin. They asked him what he thought about this. And he said, you know, it's good to kind of address it now and then get it out of the way. It's not going away, though. Well, it, hopefully it'll dampen. And, and as the team starts playing and hopefully starts winning, this will become less of an issue or less of a distraction. I still think there's a good chance that he's going to get signed. I, again, I'm the eternal optimist on this. He's going to get signed in the spring or in the early part of the season. I don't think they're going to wait until after the season and he's on the open market.
0: Well, as I said, before we go to the next question, if I were King, I'd give him five years, $200 million. That gets him to the $40 million average he wants to be at. But I'm not going beyond that for a guy that at that point in time will probably be 36 or 37 years of age. I'm not giving Mm -hmm. him guarantee, guarantee, guarantee. I'm not giving him an Albert Pujols contract, okay? (laughs) If I were king, I'd take care of him for the next five.
1: Yeah, well, you are the franchise. and right, I am. Okay. A <laughs> okay. uh,
0: couple more Fans Forum questions. Hope you're enjoying what we're doing on our weekly Thursday podcast. Go ahead, John.
1: Okay, this is about the Angels, and this is from R.Y. He says, the Angels can re-sign Otani, but they still aren't going to win. Well, the
0: big issue was how fast can the young pitching get there? Uh, a year ago, they drafted, they had 21 draft picks, John. A year ago, they drafted 21 pitchers. Every one of their draft picks two years ago was an arm and one has already gotten there, Chase Silseth. Uh, how many of these others will get there? But if you can re-sign Otani, and the bad luck with injuries with Trout and his calf go away, and who has been hurt two years in a row, finally gets healthy like he was in the early stages of a very productive career in Washington, then suddenly you've got cornerstone guys. And then if all these young pitchers start to get to the front, they got a chance to be competitive. Now, Right now, this evening? No, not in the division, not with what, how Seattle has built their team, not with what is the remaining remnants of a pretty good Houston franchise, but they can get progressively better. Otani has been very stoic. Uh, his agent said this week if they wish to talk, we'll talk, but show high has been a star and deserves a chance to see what is out there as a legitimate star. I don't think he's leaving the West Coast. I I happen to think the reason the Dodgers have stayed below the luxury threshold this year is to reset the button so they can go get him next year. So, I mean, the Dodgers could have between 11 and 15 players that they won't bring back next year because of age and because of one-year rentals, and they'll use a chunk of that money to make the sales pitch to Altani. And, like we've talked in the past, and Dodger fans would sign on here and agree with me, great history of relationships with players from the Pacific Rim, from Hideo Nomo to Chan Ho Park to everybody else that they've gotten from the Pacific Rim. So I think the Dodgers are a player. if Otani elects not to stay, but long long way to go on that, and unlike Machado. Otani is not talking publicly about what I'm going to do, <laughs> what I should do, why haven't you taken care of me, et cetera. He's really been silent.
1: He has. Uh, but, you know, if, if you're Otani, do you want to re up with the Angels that has shown all this dysfunction? I think he's out the door. Dodgers are a likely place. But, you know, the Angels have had so much bad luck, you know, and so many curses and players that have sadly have passed away. So um, I just kind of wish him for some good mojo for that, that, for that franchise. Yeah. When that
0: happens, when he goes to Dodger Stadium, I'll probably be looking for a new co host because you'll. You'll be in
1: a funk because he's not a giant. Yeah, exactly. OK, let's see we sneak another one in here. All right. You we got? got a good Aztec comment here. And this is from Tony Sue. And this is talking about the where's the defense. And we talk about the inconsistent offense with the Aztecs. He says, I'll tell you why the streaky play. You're focusing on offense and the way it's being coached to simply get an open look. In my opinion, offense should never be coached that way, only to get opportunities. Offense is initiative and it shouldn't be used with purpose and intent, not aimlessly movement to get an open look offense should be to exploit an opponent's weakness put the ball on the floor and go to the hole Mm -hmm. then dish if you don't get the shot now
0: you got to make the shot that's one of the problems their shooting outside has been really erratic he's of the opinion that all they're doing is run in motion to try to get a long jump shot well they i i think one of the problems they have is inside as nathan mensa hit a plateau as an offensive player never got off that plateau I see no difference in him offensively now than I did two and a half, three years ago. Fine player, shot blocker, post player on defense, no doubt about that, but his game never got better. I thought he'd get better. There was a kid by the name of Nemeas oh, yeah. who was at Utah State. Really fine offensive player for two years, and you could look at his game, and you saw his game in increments get better offensively. I just haven't seen that from Nathan Mensah, uh, but... They do have athletes, and they do have numbers, and they do play defense. There's no doubt about
1: that. Yes, they do.
0: So, you know, I'm hopeful that they're going to be playing deep into March Madness, and we'll see. But I sit here, and I just knock myself on the head and say, there's no consistency. And for a team that's got this many five- and six-year players, you would think you'd have more consistency. But Hacksaw, how can you criticize a team that's 22-5? and five? Well, I'm just telling you my perceptions and what I see. I'm rooting for them to go deep into March Madness, but I just don't know there's so many glitches that they can go deep into March Madness. You could argue with me, but you'd be wrong.
1: Yeah, so it, you watch the games on TV, and, and I think, you know, you know, uh, Tony is right. They seem to, like, just move the ball along the outside of the three-point line and to, to kind of get some motion and hopefully an opportunity opens up. But remember when the team had Malachi Flynn and Yanni Wetzel And it was such a tremendous team, but Wetzel was like that inside presence and you can go in and he would put it out, you know, so they had that inside outside game going on. You don't really see that as much with with um, uh, Mensa. I mean, when they put the ball into Ladie, he just goes and grinds and gets the basket, which is great. But Mensa, to your point, doesn't seem to have that offensive fluency his shot-making is not quite as good. His ability to dish and distribute the ball, it's not quite there.
0: Yeah, and you take that, and I'm not bagging on Mensa because I think he's a great young man, and he's going to graduate with a master's degree in one year's time, and he's accomplished so much. But when you take that lack of top-level offense from Nathan Mensa. And then you pair it with you never know what you're getting night-to-night offensively from Keshaw Johnson. And then you add into the equation which Jaden Ledea is coming off the bench for you. Mm-hmm. And then you got the erratic three-point firepower. And you got a couple of those guards. You're not sure you can trust night tonight. Bradley will give you points. To me, there's just a lot of pieces that just don't fit into the box together at this point in time. And we're pretty late in the season to be trying to see which piece fits with what piece. You think they're running the table in the regular season? I think, I think they, because they're deep. And they do lean on you defense, and unless Southwest Airlines loses their defensive baggage, I gotta believe that they win at New Mexico, and I think they can probably win at Boise, and then I think they run the table in the tournament, and then we'll be going to March Madness, and then we'll see who they wind up playing. Wow, right. And on. listen, hope you've enjoyed the wide variety of things that we present on our podcast. We are here most every Thursday, and we do bonus podcast on Monday. Couple of reminders: we ask you to subscribe on any of the platforms, subscribe so you'll get the alerts that we make available virtually every day of the week on our special sports podcast. We also invite you to do this Give us a thumbs up wherever you check our podcast, because that'll help us get noticed. And if you like sports and you like the way we do sports, even if you don't like what we say in sports, (laughs) go to my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. Check it out. I write on it every day. It's always great to be with you. John, nice to chat with you. Have a great sports weekend. Yes, indeed. And we want to announce a third member is joining our podcast. A salute to our new executive producer, (laughs) Nona, the Black Lab Retriever that you hear barking in the background, every once in a while, <laughs> have yourself a great sports weekend. We'll see you come bonus Monday and next Thursday on Hacksaws Headlines. Thank you for being with us. Join us again for Hacksaws Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, and find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. San Diego! For more content,
1: go to leehacksawhamilton.com.